Thank you, choir, for that great music. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, New Testament. This is the third message in our series, Soundly Saved. Looking at what the Bible says about the question, am I truly on my way to heaven? Billy Graham was interviewed about the number of people within the church that he thought were actually saved. You know what Billy Graham said? He believes that far more church members are lost than are actually saved. Driving thought of our message this morning is that the evidence of your salvation, this is in your notes, depends on how you treat your sin. Whether we excuse it and embrace it, or whether we execute it. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul begins there in verse number 16. We're going to go from verses 16 all the way through verse 26. But before we do that, um, I need to ask the question, are there any fans this morning of cafeterias? Can I see your hand? If you enjoy... Alright, all six of you. Okay, great. Um, when I was growing up, this was kind of before the buffet thing, the, the, the gluttonous thing kind of really hit the scene with, you know, Ryan's and Golden Corral and so forth. But when we would go out to eat, my dad would love to go to K&W Cafeteria. Let me ask the question again. Do we have any people in Rocky Mountain, Virginia who like K&W Cafeteria? Going to see here? Okay. Okay. Watch out. We've got some card-carrying members of K&W. And my brother Jordan, he can never pronounce it right, and we call it K&W. And uh, actually, last time we, we went with the ladies over there, someone told me, I will not mention names, that K&W actually stands for Canes and Walkers. Did y'all know that? I don't know. And I wasn't sure if I should, should say that. You know, I heard it from somebody. I, like, I don't know what to do with that, but I just, you know, share that pastorally. And it, But one of the things I remember going to K&W is that you have choices, Right? Like if you go fast food, you have choice is, but it always is kind of the same thing, right? Like some type of a sandwich with some type of a fry, whether it's depending on how large it is or how small it is. The KW you can actually go and there's someone, you know, behind the counter and you just point, right? Like you just point. Like it's so easy. Like it's it's the easiest restaurant of all. You just point. Like you don't even have to say a number four, number, you just like... And they put it on your tray. And then once you finish, you've got yourself, guys, guys, don't we have ourselves a nice snack, right? Like you finish at K&W, you're like, all right, well, that was a nice little, you know, starter. Now I'm ready to eat food. But when you finish and you check out, you can pick what you want and you can choose not to pick what you don't want. And growing up, my dad had this phrase and he said, you know, a lot of people have something called, and here's the phrase, Cafeteria Christianity. Cafeteria Christianity. Have you ever heard that before? And he explained it. He's kind of like, you know, sometimes it's so easy for people, even when they're involved in church on a regular basis, to whatever is preached from the Bible, if in fact that it is, or whenever they read the Bible to say, I like that, I don't like that, and to kind of like select things that make us feel better about where we already are, And then kind of when the long finger of the Holy Spirit points at us through a sermon or through the Bible and says, you're wrong, you need to change. We kind of do like a block and a move and say, I'll not take that. But I will take the verses on love. 
Right? I will take the verses that says that God is for me, who can be against me. But then when I come to those verses that talk about forgiveness and pride and envy and greed and refusing to support what God wants me to support, I just will go ahead and pass on my cafeteria Christianity tray from what makes me uncomfortable. And the dangerous thing about it is, it's not just like when you finish eating at KW and you're still hungry. It's that when you get to the end of your life, you realize it's like I went into the doctor's office and said, doctor, I want you to tell me everything that's right with me. And he says, well, this is good. This is good. But if you don't do this, you're going to die. And we don't do that. So what we're going to do is look at the awkward. Amen. Y'all okay with that? We're going to look at strictly what scripture says. If these things are prevalent in our lives, I want to be very, very honest. The Bible says we've never truly been saved. Just straight up and honest. Doesn't matter how long we've been a part of a church. Doesn't matter what we know about Jesus. And then it says that if you have truly been saved, there's going to be things that are evident in your life that you have been saved. And because I love you, because Jesus is real, we will look at the stuff that makes us who have been involved in church for some time, sometimes uncomfortable. If you have your Bibles with me, go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, Paul is writing to believers, right? Like this is being read in the first century New Testament church. So he's not talking to people who are on the outside. Alright, the people who are atheists or the people who say, I don't care about God. I'm just going to go try to do everything I can this weekend to defile myself. Alright, he's talking to people who claim to know Christ. Now notice what he says there in verse 16. If we walk by, and that's in the passive tense, you could translate this to say, I'm carried by the Spirit. Now, if you've ever done any type of, I don't know if you... You guys ever had like a little sailboat when you were a kid? Like one thing you just kind of put on the water. Or if you had a kite and you flew the kite, you notice that when the wind takes over, the wind carries the object wherever the wind's going to go. In the same way, the Bible's telling us that if we allow ourselves, if we've been saved, to be governed by and led by the Spirit of God, we will not go back to the old way of life. And in verse 17 we see here that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So what, what in the world is, is, is going on here? The, when the Bible uses the word flesh, it means all of the things that we have the desire to do that we know that we shouldn't do. And we're going to break down each one of those here in just a minute. And then it's kind of like it pictures this war, the second phrase in verse 17, and the desires of the Spirit... The Holy Spirit that lives within us once we get saved are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other. And the flesh is to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Remember in, in Romans chapter 7 when the Apostle Paul, he starts out and he says, the things that I hate, sometimes I end up doing those things that I hate. And the things that I really want to do, I don't end up always doing. Who shall do, deliver me from this body of death? The man Christ Jesus. But right here in Scripture, it's very important for us to note that once you get saved, the war begins. People are like, well, well, I thought that there was some type of a war before I got saved. No, we were already on the side of the enemy, right? 
Like if they, if we're dead inside, if we've never been born again, never been saved, never been transformed, there's no real war. It's just an automatic capitulation, an automatic giving in. But the text says right here that they are opposed to each other. So if some of the things Christians are like, Jeff, I struggle with sin. Good. Good job. If you struggle with sin, then that means that something is alive to fight it. Amen? Like, like you don't have a dead person who's fighting a war. Like I've never seen a dead guy in a boxing ring fighting. Unless it's like a really weird zombie movie, right? Like if you are alive, you fight against the flesh and you oppose it. But the Bible says right here, this, this is huge encouragement, that if you struggle with your old ways, if there's the temptation sometimes that comes and it seems like this steel claw, it seems like, I don't know if you guys have ever played the claw game, right? Where, where you, you put it like 75 cents in, the claw comes down, and the claw, it's, a, it's such a crooked game. You ever got something on top and then the claw grabs a hole, but it's got like .000 arm strength, it just kind of just like... Oh, I just, I dropped it. Oh, goodness, you'll have to put in another 75 cents. Guys who designed the machine never saw that coming. Let me try again. Oh, just slipped out of my hand and we're just, you know, frustrated at life. Like, sometimes it can seem like that. Like, we're in this box called the human experience. Sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and one guy told me, he's like, I think my wife goes to bed on the wrong side of the bed. That's why she wakes up like that every day. Like all those things are called the human experience. People offend us, we get tired, we don't get enough sleep, so forth and so on. And then almost, we're trying to serve Jesus and it seems like this claw of the old nature comes and tries to get us to pull us back time and time again. Fight it. Fight it. And, and this is pretty violent usage here. Um, if you want to hop over to verse 24 with me, this is kind of the other bookend of this passage. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, that means those of us who we've been saved. Not because we've been good enough, because we realize we could never be good enough, have done what to the flesh? Somebody help me out. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, Crucifixion is not beheading. Crucifixion is not death by lethal injection. Crucifixion is the most cruel thing that you can do. So what the Bible is basically saying is try to undercut, try to kill, try to destroy, turn every bit of fight that you have in you towards your old nature saying, I will not go back to that because Jesus is in me and He is Lord of my life. Y'all okay this morning? Execute it. Crucify it. And then it gets interesting further on in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Which means that if you are allowing God to work in your life, you are outside of that realm that most people are in that thinks that I have to do these things, don't do these things, and therefore God will approve of me. It means that you have lived or are living the Christian life. Now notice verse 19 really begins to break it down. Um, somebody says, what does it mean the works of the flesh? Here we go. Are evident, which means they are clear. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Jerry Springer, fits of anger, rivalries, talk shows, dissensions, sorry, divisions, envy, drunkenness, home drama, 
the things and things like these. And here's the warning. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do... Now, this is in the present tense. This is a continual practice. Those whose lives are characterized, who do such things, will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. Straight up, if these things characterize our life, it means that if we die, we go to hell. It's pretty quiet. It means regardless of how many times we have been dunked or christened or walked down the, the, the aisle during an invitation or done any type of religious things or no religious truths or know the Bible, it means that if these things are the prevailing character descriptors of our life, it's evident... That's why it says there in verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. I looked this up in the lexicon. It means that it's everything is barred. Everything is open. No, I mean, it's just like a glass house. There's no questions at all. If these are the things that characterize our life, the Bible mercifully, through the hand of God and the inspiration of the Bible, is letting us know you need to be saved. So the evidence of an unchanged life, if you want to follow along with us, it's in your outline. Number one, it's a lifestyle pattern of sensuality. Notice there it says the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness in verse 20, 21, orgies and things like these. Now something very important for us all to understand um, is that God created sex. Can you say things like that? It was His idea... So if that's the way that He created it for one man and one woman together to propagate the human race, then in the context of marriage, it is a good thing. I think sometimes the world looks at us and they think that like Christians are against it. No joke. Some of you guys, this is weirding you out right now. Like, is He actually talking about this on a Sunday morning? Like, no, He didn't go there. We just went there. We're going to go a little bit further. Not only did God create it, but within the context of marriage, He said it's a good thing. It's in God-honoring thing. It's a righteous thing. But what the Scripture is talking about here is a misuse of a gift of God. And some questions that I've received would be like this today. Now, Jeff, uh, that may be true, but I'm not married to the person, but, but I love them. So why is it wrong if we're in love for us to have sex? Answer, very plainly and honestly, guys especially, if you love her, you will honor her. If you try to get her to do things that God said clearly not to do, you're putting her under the judgment of God, so how is that loving her? Are we all tracking with that? And girls, I just want to be honest, like some guys are really slick today. I mean, they, they've got, you know, you know, the, the, the pickup lines and just, most of them are cheesy. I don't even know if pickup lines work. Well, this one guy in the class this last week, the biggest nerd I've ever seen, he's like, yeah, one of the things you could do, philosophy pickup line is be like, would it be possible for me to have epistemic access to your phone number? I'm like, dude, if you say that, you will be single for the rest of your life. She'll just like run and be like, go, what in the world? That's so weird. Right? Like all of that. If you ever have a guy that's trying to get you to do things that you know are wrong, um, my cell phone, is in the bulletin. Give me a call. I can round up a couple of deacons really quick 
and we can give a couple of close fist healings. Amen? Right? Like we will protect the women of this church. We don't allow that type of garbage. So the thing is, and it's so, and it's so weird today too, especially with students. Like, I love her. I love him. Well, if you truly love them, then there's a real biblical picture of love. We don't have time to break it down. There's a guy who really was in love with a woman in the Old Testament and he wanted to marry her. And guess what the deal that her dad did? Her dad was like totally shady, totally crooked. If you work for me for seven years, you can have my daughter in marriage. Hello! I mean, imagine, like imagine, like you've dated this girl and you're like, this is the one, guys. Like, she is it. I will die for this one. I'll take the bullet. And you talk to her dad and sir, you know, I did had your permission to, to, to date or whatever. I really have, would love to have your blessing to, to, to pursue your daughter for marriage. And he's like, well, if you work for me and my business for seven years with basically no wage other than just a little pension, I'll let you have her. Guess what the guy did? He works for seven years. And then the dad on the wedding night does a switcheroo and he ends up with the ugly sister. It's so twisted. And then he works seven more years to get the woman that he originally loved. Like, that's true love. Amen? Like, that's commitment. So, so girls, I mean, if, if, if the guy's just trying to be, you know, shady and, and throw stuff from, you know, pride and prejudice, uh, Mr. Darcy one-liners, whatever it is, to try to get you to do something you know you shouldn't do, that's the work of the flesh, and he does not love you. No matter what he may say, if he loves you, he will honor you. So that's something that I thought that we would want to make very clear um, today. <clears throat> it's an interesting... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Interesting phrase here in verse number uh, verse number nineteen. Um, people people ask the, the question with sexual immorality or, or adultery or fornication, like how far is too far um, for someone who is single again or someone who is single? The best thing to do is the conscience knows the difference. So we as believers should not try to push. The line as far as we can go. The same issue with people talk about the drinking issue. And it's always the presupposition somebody brings into it. Are you trying to get away with much as, as much as you possibly can? Or are you trying to honor God with everything that you can? And also notice here, it has, it has the issue of drunkenness. I just want to be very biblical. The thing is, if you say, well, Jeff, I've been saved, I've been truly born again, but I have not put down the bottle. I've continued to drink like I always have. It affects my family. But one thing that I've noticed with men, especially that I've talked to who have not been able to put down uh, the bottle, is they don't think it's a problem. Some of you have the same issue. You, you know people in your life and you talk to them about this, this sin of the flesh, but it's not a problem. Doesn't, y- yes, it does. If you hear, I, I love you, if you continue to drink, if, if, it, if it categorizes your life, if you can't, another thing too, somebody says, well, Jeff, it's just something I do once in a while. Go 30 days without it. I challenge you this morning. I challenge you. If it's not a big part of your life, go 30 days with no drink to prove it. Jesus Christ can deliver you. See, now Jeff, we, we, I may have talked to you. I've, I've been in church. The Bible says that drunkenness, a continual pattern of your life, is evidence that you've never truly been saved. Jeff, Jeff, why would you bring that up? Because the Lord loves you. Not only that, but you've also got over in verse uh, 21, envy, drunkenness. Uh, also in verse 20, <clears throat> you've got all sorts of things, uh, jealousy, anger, there's a really interesting word in verse 20 that I think most people in Franklin County would not really uh, focus in on, and it's the word sorcery. Okay? 
unless you're like a really big, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons guy from back like in the 80s and you still got your collector's cards and so forth and you got your stuff going on. Like people, most of the time, I've not known very, very many people at all that have said, Jeff, I've really been struggling because when I lay down at night, I hear this dark, deep voice saying, come worship me. And I know it's not God. And I begin to see spirits and stuff like that. I haven't had that so often. So what's the word speaking of? It's speaking of trying to acquire the power of God outside of the means of God. And it's even in your outline. Uh, the word here is pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy in the English language. This is really interesting. Even in the first century, sorcerers and magicians also made drugs. The way it would work is they would give the drugs to people who would engage in the, in the satanic practices. People would get high and they would get involved in basically demon worship as well. The scripture here says that if any of those things are categorize our life, then we need to be saved. That's spirituality. People say, Jeff, I believe in Jesus, but I believe that He's one of many ways. That doesn't work. Remember when I was in college, we didn't have any carpet on our floor. When you're in some of those dorm rooms, if you've ever been in the military or a college dorm, it can just get downright nasty. Amen? I mean, it's just like you got dust and dirt and bugs and all sorts of things coming in. And so we needed some carpet, but as poor college students, we didn't want to or have the money to go out and buy carpet. But we did know a carpet store who allowed us to go dumpster diving. Has anybody ever been dumpster diving here? Okay, there's a couple that are like, like, okay, like right here. What you do when you go dumpster diving, you obviously ask permission because that would be a really weird way to be arrested. You know, put your hands on the car. He was in the dumpster. I don't know. Put him in a cell by himself. I have no idea. And, and But we went and we, we got all of these random pieces of carpet and we turned it upside down and we got duct tape. Amen? Right? Like on the eighth day, God created duct tape. Can I get a witness? And we put, we put all of it to, we put all of this carpet together like it's this unite carpet. This is all jacked up and twisted and just didn't to look right, but it was better than nothing. And that's what, when the Bible speaks about magicians and sorcerers and witchcraft, it's saying this, God, I want power, but I don't want you. I'm going to go outside and try to patch together some network of beliefs. You say, Jeff, I don't even own a Ouija board. Like, I've never been involved in sorcery at all. Okay, are you a spiritual type of person that says, you know what, I think that the Bible's got some good ideas, but I think that Buddha maybe have had had some good ideas, or or Islam, or or, or New Age, or Neuro-Buddhism, whatever it may be. Same thing as cafeteria Christianity. Jesus comes on the scene... And kind of like pulls the pin on a grenade and throws it and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through, yeah, yeah, by me. It, but who, I mean, like who would say that? Just come in and be like, everybody else is wrong. Well, hello, Mr. Perfect. Oh, it's Jesus. He is. He can say that, right? Like, He has the grounds to be able to make that claim. So when the Bible's walking through these these sins, and notice in verse 21, um, orgies, which we've got, I think, a a mixing of ages in here, so we're not going to go too too deep here. Notice that it follows drunkenness. I'm not trying to be crass not trying to treat this on a surface level, but being able to talk with people who have had a past in this. 
almost always drunkenness or involved, we could say, sorcery or, or, or something like drug use. That almost always precedes things that people deeply regret. Waking up in the morning saying, who is this next to me? How did I get here? I really cannot remember what happened last night and that scares me profoundly. All of those things ultimately stem from it's not the drinking issue. It's not the works of the flesh as they're done out here, but it comes from the heart. And that's what Jesus came to change. He came to change the heart. Not only that, go with me to verse 20 and 21. These are, would be the works of the flesh that would be basically selfishness. Now, I want you to ask yourself as we walk through this, what would your family say about you? Idolatry. Yes, that could be bowing down before an idol, but it could also be making a God out of um, what we want Him to be. Sorcery. Enmity. Just jealousy. Fighting. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries, read that drama. Nothing can satisfy you. Dissensions, constant arguing. Divisions, think in terms of a church. I'll be very uh, honest here. Um, I was telling someone on the phone last night that I'm so blessed to be a part of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, and I mean that. Y'all are weird in the most awesome way. (laughs) To go two years... Be able to have a spirit of unity when you have a younger pastor. I know I maybe still be a lot for some of you to swallow, and that's fine. To be able to go on mission trips, to do ministry, to see people from all walks of life come here and all of them be welcome. I praise God for you. But when the text of Scripture here says that those who will not inherit the kingdom of God are characterized by divisions, I'll make a very honest statement that if your desire is to cause problems within this church, to cause drama, to cause splits and groups here and groups over here and infighting, it is a clear sign that you have never been saved because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. And because you serve him, he's getting you to do it. Some of you have come from church backgrounds to where you come on Sunday morning and you know that there are people who won't speak to each other. There's, there's just all sorts of this in church where people who are supposed to be saved. I'm sorry you've had those experiences, but the text of Scripture is still true that those who are defined by divisions, by dissensions, by rivalries, by business meetings, fits of anger... I'm on Twitter. Anybody else here on Twitter? Okay. Follow me. It's, it's a pretty cool way to, to network online. There's a couple of people who've created, I don't know, some, this may not go over well because like 10 people who are on Twitter. Okay. There's a couple of people who have definitely been raised in church, but they've made up fake profiles. And one of the profiles is called the Surly Deacon. The Surly Deacon. And, and it's just quotes of things that like I heard growing up. And this was one of them. VBS starts this week and I'm in charge of protecting the organ from the rugrats. I mean these sweet little angels. I may puke. Right? Like a bitter, mean person. Another one named uh, Kurt's Church Curmudgeon. 
says decorating committee cage match tonight. There will be blood. I'm in. You know, like all of this type of stuff with people who've been raised in church. No, and I'm like, I knew people like that growing up. Get saved and you won't be able to have love in your heart. Go to verse 22. This is where it actually really gets good. This is what Scripture says. If your life is defined by this, you have been saved. But the fruit of the Spirit, but not these other things, is love. Are you a loving person? Not just liking people who make you feel good or have a funny sense of humor, but the love here is agape, the love that Jesus had when He died for His enemies. Are you the type of person you say, if somebody does something to me, they are cut off, no forgiveness, you are dead to me. Or are you a person who has long-suffering like the Lord? Joy. Do you have joy? Are you a person over in verse number number 20 to strife and envy all the time? Peace. Do you have the peace of the Holy Spirit within your life? Ultimately, the peace that passes all understanding. Are you patient? If I asked your family members, husband, wife, mom, dad, brother, sister, are you a patient person? Would they be able, if they put their hand on the Bible, have to say, no, they're not. In fact, it's like I have to feel like I walk on eggshells just not to tick them off. Is that what they would say if they were being honest? Also, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Are you a faithful person? Are you gentle, verse 23? Or are you gruff? Self-control. You have self-control in your life going back to everything that we just walked through in verses 19 through 20. Notice it says that against such there is no law. That means that if you are saved and you're demonstrating these qualities and people see it in your life, they're like, I don't know what's up with you, but you have peace. You're a loving person. You have joy. You have kindness. I don't know about y'all, but I can sense some tension in the room. And that's okay. Against such things there is no law. That means that that, that's, that's that's what everybody ultimately wants society to be about. That means that there's never going to be a law that says don't love that person more. There's never going to be a law that says uh, try to break your word. That's what we need. There's never going to be a law that says uh, you will be rewarded if you try to uh, cause the opposite of joy. There's no law against that. In verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its desires. Warren Wiersbe says this, What a contrast between works and fruit. Fruit is the result of a living union. A machine may produce works, but it can never produce fruit. Even the law produces works, but God calls them dead works. It means that when you get truly saved, there is going to be a radical transformation. See, now Jeff, does that mean that a Christian is never going to sin? No, but the evidence of if you've been saved is whether you make an excuse for your sin or whether you continue to put it on the firing line and execute it time and time again. Whenever sin raises its ugly head, you take the divine sword of God's Word and you try to swing for the bleachers. It means that every time you stumble and you fall, you do not bring excuses like, well, I only drink a little bit. I don't cuss as much as him or her. I only got angry at my wife once this past week when the neighbors we could hear them like all the way across the pasture. 
It's not excuses. Excuses for sin are evidence that we really don't want to repent of it. It's kind of like, well, I want to be sick a little bit. I don't want to get totally well. When you get saved, when you sin, it's not so much like, oh no, God may judge me. It's like, I just hurt my father's heart. If we could put it like in our language, like I disappointed him and I love him and I don't want to do that. God, would you forgive me? Instead of trying to gloss over it. On the ride home, some of you need to talk about this with your families. Instead, you know, well, I don't want to. Do it. We'll try to bring up something else. Talk about it. And finally, in verses 25 and 26, if we've truly been born again and truly saved, we will be servant-minded. Notice what it says. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You know what? This is not my pulpit. Y'all are right with that? Those are not your Sunday school classrooms. Nothing here is owned by any one of us. It's all the Lord's. So within the context of a local church, you say, Jeff, is there like some big issue? No, no, here's the thing. It's all His. That's why the Bible says that when God does do things in our life, we're not supposed to be like, well, look at what I've done. Look at the chains that I've got in my life. We just bounce it back and say, if it was not for Jesus Christ, I would be in hell right now. So I praise Him for being able to save me. Amen? Y'all okay on a Sunday morning? That's a thing too. When you get saved for real, when you realize that these works of the flesh have so been in your life, Regardless of how much you've been involved in church, and the Holy Spirit says, if these things are you, then you're going to hell. But then we come to verse 22, but, but the works or the fruit of the Spirit is the opposite. When we come to the conjunction, the the but right there, it means that we come to the place where we say, God, I am guilty and I need you. Remember when I walked forward as a 19-year-old, had been in church all of my life. The guy who counseled me, he had gotten, he was in his forge, but he had gotten saved when he was a 30-year-old chairman of the deacons. Holy Spirit told me, he says, you know what? You're not saved. Even though you know a lot about this, you've never met the God who wrote it. To execute the sin and not make an excuse. Imagine if we could be there and we saw Jesus on the cross. We saw the Jewish leaders walk by and as the Bible says they wagged their heads. They were cursing at Him. The very moment when most of us, even if we hated a person, we saw Him on a cross, we'd say, well, somebody needs to either... Like, some, this, is, this is too far. It's too much. It's been ripped apart. He's there. He's literally got... got Iron spikes through his feet, through his hands. If he tried to pull away, he couldn't. Otherwise, he'd just tear himself more. Loss of blood was so much, he couldn't even carry a beam up a hill. They had to get a guy, Simon of Cyrene, picked on the black guy. Carry this. And he's there. There's one guy who's broken over his sin, but the other guy next to him who's about to die too has so much hate in his heart that he's basically screaming at Jesus. Mocking Jesus. And we see that and we hear, we hear this kind of this whisper, soft spoken word and Jesus does not say what we would say. Which would be expletives. Ever seen the movie High Plains Drifter, Clint Eastwood, when the man is being beaten to death with bull whips in the street. Right before he dies, he 
tells the people where he wants them to go, which I'm not going to say it right. That's a human reaction. But Jesus whispers and speaks the words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We're like, is he, is he, is he, is he serious? And then the man who's on the cross next to Jesus begins to say, can you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus doesn't turn to him and say, leave me alone. Jesus in mercy extends grace to the man and says, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Even on the cross, Jesus was reaching out to sinners. To people who had no hope. And then Jesus, He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken is a cold, horrible word. God the Father, in a sense, I guess we could say turned His back or turned all of the guns of His righteous anger and pressed down His wrath upon the Lord Jesus. Jesus who had never experienced a break in relationship, never experienced sin, suffered all of our sin together on Him. And he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Then right before Jesus died, he said, Father, the very one who poured out all of his wrath for the sins of all of us, Jesus speaks to him. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He prayed and he died. And then here we are, couple thousand years later. Some of us have been raised in church and we know that story. And then we sit in the service and the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, even though you've been involved in the church, the works of the flesh are evident in your life and the fruit of the Spirit is not. Trust me and be saved and born again for real today. And we say no. Say, that would be too embarrassing. People know me here. I think I'm going to be fine. If that's you and you end up on judgment day, there will be no excuse that you can level before the Lord. You will say, I came to you time and time again in my love and my mercy and said, trust me, repent and be forgiven. It is today that the Lord is challenging every church member, however long you've been here, if the fruits or the works of the flesh are the prevailing characteristic of your life, right now, repent and ask Him to save you. And if you've been saved, allow Him to carry you and do the works and the fruit of the Spirit.